he was around. G'day and welcome to Green and Gold Rugby Special World Cup Podcast 193 with your host, Matt Rowley. Um, as last week, we're sponsored by Dropbox um, Australia. Uh, fantastic product. I've been using it forever. I use it both personally and uh, for business. Uh, another 8 million Australians also use Dropbox, which is uh, pretty mind-blowing, as well as a bunch of companies like Bauer Media Group, Campaign Monitor, Shoes of Prey, Bellroy, and Suntory. They're all using Dropbox of business, uh, and they, that helps their team members work together no matter where they are or what tools that they're using. So get your whole team on Dropbox for free today. You get a free 30-day trial. Just go to dropbox.com slash business. But talking about business, let's get down to business. Uh, he's still awake somehow. I mean, what's, so how, when, when have you been awake since uh, Hugh Cavill? Uh, look, I, I got a couple of hours of sleep this morning. I woke up. I think from five till about seven. So um, um, I'm still here, you know, I'm, I'm punching through. I think if we'd lost, I'd be um, sort of in a um, sobbing kind of heap uh, and probably wouldn't have gone to work and wouldn't be answering any calls and sitting in the darkened room. But we, we won, and so I'm here and, I, and I'm powering on. Yeah, well, I think we were all contemplating what that was going to be like um, for for, that, for the last 10 minutes. Because also joining us, uh, we've got Dave Jefferson, otherwise known as Cyclopath Mate. How are you? Um, well, a little bit tired, but uh, not too bad, not too bad. A little bit rough around the edges? Well, I was, um, you know, I'm old and I had to um, have, to have a little bit of a nap um, <laughs> yesterday late in the evening and uh, got myself up for the game, although I did manage to miss the first 10 minutes. Um, <clears throat> and then um, a couple more hours before I got up and went off to work to um, heal the sick. Mm. So I've had a busy day. Well, I tell you what, um, Hugh. I don't know how you did it. I mean, ha- what were you thinking when that rain started coming down in the last ten minutes? Oh God! I, I, look, the rain was the first one. I, I think as soon as it started raining like that, I, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I just could not believe it. It was it it was fine, and then it was torrential, just like that. It wasn't like it was sprinkling. Mm. It was torrential, and it was like a supernatural and, intervention, wasn't it? And I thought, you know what? You know, okay, it's terrible, and this is a this is a real sign. But then I thought, you know what? You know, it's going to be. I think at that point we were still up by six. I thought, well, they're, they're going to have to score a try in these conditions. It's going to be bloody hard as long as we don't do anything silly. Um, yeah, and then when that intercept happened, oh god, it's been playing in a loop in my head all day. Oh god, slipper! I go, don't throw the pass, slipper! Don't throw it! And every time he throws it, and. I can't get it to stop. <laughs> well, that would have been... Talk about a horror in everybody's mind if the game hadn't turned out uh, a, a different way. For those of you who somehow don't know, uh, so Australia managed to just hang on to beat... Well, come back from behind at the death to beat Scotland 35-34 uh, in the wee hours of the morning uh, to clinch the final quarterfinal and the last spot into the semis. How did we get there, Jeffo? I mean, how did it... How did we end up needing a kick right on the donger from Foley to get us over the line? Well, it's actually, well, I was, when we were five points up, sorry to correct you here, we were five points up, I was, I was, I was out of my chair and pacing, um, 
uh, around my my house, almost unable to watch. And I kept saying to myself in my head, just don't let them score a try because I'll kick the goal. And sure enough, you know, it was the beautiful double pump too. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't just a, a minor piece of brilliance. It was the double pump to deliver the ball straight into the guy's arms. And I must admit, as soon as it happened, I felt sorry for James Slipper, who was obviously distraught. But, um, you know, they took us out of our comfort zone. They had us doing things we would not normally be doing. But what I haven't been able to work out, maybe you guys have got a better idea, is whether the game plan had appreciably changed or whether people were just not playing to the game plan because I can't believe that some of the things I saw were really part of the plan. Mm. Um, you know, well, kicks, was... kicks in strange places and things like that. I, I couldn't believe that that suddenly is the plan that they wanted to play. Mm. Well, I mean, I've been trying to play through it in my own head just to make sense of it. I've only had the one viewing, so I think there's a lot to go through to get a better understanding. But, you know, it, it's quite a... It's quite a feat of a game. I mean, we really did give them three tries. Um, you know, one was from, and I think it was the first one, was from just there was literally zero ruck defence. Um, and I think it was one of the breakaways just literally just picked up the ball, strolled over, no one in front of him. Outside um, centre. Yeah, was it? Okay, so, you know, that, that was that was quite amazing. Uh, there was a charge down. Uh, which, as you said, came from a kick in a strange place. Which is just on now. I'm just watching it right now as we speak. Um, I'm sure it's not looking any better. And then there's that uh, final. There's that final intercept. So we gave the, the we gave the buggers three tries. Now I say we gave them. I mean we're under pressure. You know you do these sorts of stupid things. You know partly under pressure. So I don't want to take it away from the Scots because I I think they played out of their skins. I think they were really well coached. I think um, you know they, they really turned up. But then I say all that and then. You know, everyone's. I've seen a lot of gloom and doom, and people saying, "Oh, you know, where's our attack? It was dreadful." A whole bunch of people jumping on Bernard Foley again, even though he yet again managed to kick us to, to victory. Um, and it's like, well, we scored five tries, and there was at least another two. One, some people would argue, we did score, and another one that Foley kind of passed when he seemed to be out of the line. Hugh, have you managed to make any sense of the, the pattern of this game? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's it's almost the exact opposite of what happened last week. Our attack was fine. Mm. Our attack was good. It's probably, dare I say, the best it's been all World Cup. I mean, you say if someone had offered you 35 points at the start of that game, you would have taken it every time. You take 35 points in a World Cup quarterfinal, regardless of the opposition. We scored five good tries that were well-constructed, um, you know, built up well. We didn't have any, you know, really lucky breaks there. And we, um, the Scottish discipline in their own 22 was was incredible. Mm. And so they didn't give us a shred. We um, And we had to uh, work for every single try. And, and we did that. And, and um, the problem was we just kept letting them back in. And it was a combination of our decision-making in our own half, especially once the Scots kicked back to us on the kickoff. We just... Our exits were poor, and we kept getting them back on the front foot. We made mistakes. We gave away penalties at the scrum and at the ruck, um, and our defence was pretty passive too, and it allowed the Scots to get a bit of a roll on. Mm. So, you know, it was a bit of a – in the end, it was a perfect storm, and, and you, the way these upsets tend to run, and you see, you've see you seen it so many times, these David and Goliath battles where all of a sudden the team starts out and they get a bit of a shred, and then – a lucky try or two, a charge down, an intercept, and then it starts to piss down raining and the conditions are a factor and you've got a, 
a scrum that's dominant and a, a kicker that's slotting them from everywhere. I mean, we've seen the script, you know, multiple times before and, and um, somehow we managed to buck, buck the script in the end. And, of course, we shouldn't have been in that position. But, um, oh, you know, you, you don't know what to think in the end, do you? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the problems, that, I mean, what we'd seen so far in the World Cup as well, though, was is that we'd managed to muscle up in those areas that win World Cup games. So penalty kicking or goal kicking, I should say. Um, we, we were scoring tries out wide, which wasn't helping, but I think Foley at least left, I think it was like six points or, or more on the, on, on the table in the first half um, uh, through missing those uh, conversions. And then the other bit was then the scrum. I mean, we, got, we gave away or we got penalised three times in the scrum, um, and I think a, a good, at least a couple of those were kind of converted. So, you know, there's some big point swings just in those tight areas that you need to win these World Cup matches, and that's even before you've given them three converted tries, um, which is why suddenly all of us, you know, you're playing a Scotland who's scored 34 points, um, which is something they haven't done for a long, long time. Never. Yeah. Most they've ever. No, it's seriously the most they've ever scored against us. They've only yeah. ever scored over 20 points once in the in the history uh, of the game, yeah. um, and they got to 34. And that's easily the most they've ever scored against us. Oh, quite amazing. So look, there's a, there's a few different talking points here. Then probably the one that's copping the most um, sort of air time at the moment is the way that the match finished uh, with, with a penalty uh, against Scotland uh, down just, I think, was it probably on around about the 40-metre line or so? Um, from a line-out, the ball bobbled around um, from the line-out down, hit, I think, one of the second rowers on the shoulder and then bounced forward into the arms of, was it like a prop or someone um, who, who kind of picked it up? And Jubas blew it. So the guy was uh, offside and our penalty, and, and it slotted it, they've absolutely gone apeshit about it, Dave. What's 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 the gripe? Well, there's a couple of gripes. I think there's there's two main camps here. There's the camp that says, look, this was um, it was only ever an accidental offside, and I think that's from people who don't actually understand what accidental offside means and what offside the offside rule means. So there's the issue of um, if. Ignoring everything else that if the referee thinks that a player is offside and they play at the ball deliberately, they're offside. You know, so the, it doesn't matter if they didn't expect to be there. Uh, they're not accidental just because they thought, oh, hang on, I'm here and I'm in the wrong place. If they play at the ball and prevent the other team from playing, that is offside. So they have, he has to blow a penalty. So then you have to go back a step. So I think a lot of people don't get that point. And then the other point that seems to be getting debated endlessly is whether the fact that the ball may or may not have hit Phipps in any way puts all the other Scotland players on site. And then the issue is whether he has played at the ball deliberately or not. So, and I've seen a couple of things people put up there. I can't really work it out myself looking at the replays, whether he does or doesn't. He looks like he plays, but doesn't get it, get at it. It then bounces off a Scotland player and off him inadvertently and then onto another Scotland player. So I'm, you know, having a, having a guess here, I'm, I think Jubas has looked at it and thought, well, he didn't play at it deliberately, even if it has glanced off him. So the Scotland players have not been put on side by that act. Therefore, the guy takes the ball, he is offside. Now, that's – and then the final piece of the puzzle, sorry, is that um, people clamouring, including uh, Laidlaw, who had a bit of a whinge about it in the post-match 
interviews, which was not his fault really because the absolute knob end with the microphone wouldn't shut the heck up about it, um, was um, uh, whether the TMO should have been called in. And, and under the current laws, there does not seem to be uh, an avenue where the TMO can be called on for that particular thing. Who, who'd be a rugby ref, really? Yeah. I mean, uh, today I've seen, you know, pages and pages of internet fora devoted to debating that decision, breaking it down in slow-mo, you know, um, you know, working through the ramifications of the laws. And even then there hasn't been a real consensus. Um, and so you look at it in real time at the pace it happened and you expect him to make a call and look, I think I've, lo- I've looked at it a few times in, in real time and, I th- you know, I'm trying to be objective about it as I can, but I, I can understand why he blew the penalty. I think it's, mm. you know, at, at, it's a 50-50. You know, I've seen, seen it blown um, as a penalty plenty of times and I've seen it blown as a scrum. Well, see, look, I mean, there's, there's no way that... See, I think actually there's a little bit of a square-up happening in, in Joubert's mind because there was an, almost an exact same thing that happened earlier in the game. And, and he ruled, and he ruled accidental offside, and I was like, "Bullshit!" If the guy catches the ball, that's not accidental, right? If if if, if it hits him, so if it hits your player, smacks into you, that's accidental because you haven't meant to touch the ball. But as soon as you grab the freaking ball, it's not accidental. So I reckon Jubas was like, "Oh bugger, got that one wrong. I better not get this one wrong." Um, he's seen it in real time. Whether he's even thought through, what, can I look at? And look, we've got on our Facebook page. Go and have a look. The there's a there's a video clip there. I'm so, not not saying to you guys right now in the podcast. <laughs> anyone who's listening, um, it's on there. You can you can find it, and it's got every angle in slow mo that you can watch. I've watched that twice, and I can't quite tell whether Phipps actually touches it or not. It looks like he might do from one angle. It doesn't look like from the other. So, and if you watch it in real time, I'm with you here. It just looks like it hits that Scottish uh, replacement on the shoulder and goes straight back to the other guy who grabs it. That's yeah. That's just, that's just a penalty. And you can't, it's not. And, it's and it's can't by no that. means a clanger in the mould of you know Wayne Barnes missing the. But it's not a clanger. I think I think it's just a. I think it's actually just a right call. And and, and I think the reaction to Joubert has been pretty appalling in some quarters. Mm. Um, you know the the Maitland yellow card as well, which was a bit of a you know probably a little bit harsh. But you know even the thing that oh well he ran off the ground at the end of the end of the game that's pretty common. I mean the refs don't hang around on the ground and. And you know, uh, have a chin wag with the players and a laugh and a, you know, muck around. They do tend to get off the field pretty quickly. Um, and you know, for example, the last time Joubert's ran a foul of a crowd was in the in the Super Rugby semi final where the Waratahs went down to the Highlanders and probably unjustly copped a bit of flack from the crowd. And you know, he legged it pretty quickly at the end of that game and and had to um, kind of be escorted by security there. But um, I think that's that's not uncommon. But uh, some of the bleating from up north is, is is a little bit hard to take. I think. Oh, it's actually just a really it's pretty it's pretty unsightly now. Um, talk, talk about the yellow card. That to me, Dave, I must admit, I it that seemed a bit harsh, like to go to yellow. But oh, look, unequivocal. I mean, I when I saw it at the time, mm. I I didn't even I didn't even when I was watching the game and he blew up. Oh, it's a knock on scrum. I just went, okay, we've got to scrum. This is good. Didn't even for a second think, oh, hang on, did he knock that on deliberately? And then it suddenly starts coming through the feed that you can hear, oh, you know, TMO's involved and blah, blah, blah. And my my reaction, which I posted up on 
Twitter and other places was that it was just rubbish. I mean, I, I just, you know, it was a reflex action on Maitland's part. He put his hand out. Okay, his hand was pointing, wasn't pointing upwards, which is sometimes what they look at. But, you know, it was a reflex thing. It in no way looked like he was trying to bat the ball down. You know, the ball's in front of him. He stuck his hand out, as anyone would do. Mm-hmm. Well, and, they- uh, it didn't look deliberate to me at all. Well, I mean, it's it's there's the def- definition of what deliberate is, right? Do, do do we really think he was trying to catch that ball, or was he sticking his arm in the way to make sure the pass didn't make it? And I think so. Th- there's the difference, right? I stick I stick my hand out. I've got no real idea that I'm going to catch this. You know, it's that, it's that sort of thing you do in a touch. You know, when you're playing touch, and you kind of you touch with one arm, you kind of stick your other arm around just to stop the ball, and so he doesn't get the ball away. And that's pretty much what he did. He kind of stuck it out. If he was going to, if that thing, he had no idea if it was going to go up, down, or whatever. He just wanted to stop the pass. Now that's not quite the same as slapping down a ball, um, you know, which is you know, very clear. But you know, what do you say? Because if you say that, you know, him just making sure the pass doesn't go, that's deliberately making, you know, interfering with that pass and knocking it on. Uh, and then suddenly you're down the road of, well, okay, is it just a pen- is it just a penalty or is it foul play? Foul play seems to be getting yellow cards, and suddenly we've got to go off the go off the field. Is is that how we get there, Hugh? Oh yeah. Look, I don't think it's a yellow card. It's a penalty at worst. Mm. I think if it's you know in the ten meter zone, and I wasn't even convinced that Drew Mitchell was even in space if he catches that pass. I'm not sure it was out in front of him. Mm. Well, um, he, well, he asked about the penalty try, didn't he? Oh. So. Uh, you know what it comes back to, though, and we've discussed this before, Matt, and, and I think, you know, Craig Joubert as a referee likes making the big calls, you know, very unafraid of yellow cards at, at crucial times or penalties at crucial times and is very, you know, I think it, I'd say he prides himself on being unafraid of, of, of the occasion and, and making big calls on the occasion. Some refs will put the whistle in the pocket in the last 10 minutes of a close game. Joubert's never been one of them. Um, some would probably let 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 it slide, you know, let let one or two things slide. Um, Shabir's not one of them, and that's why we saw the two yellow cards to the Wallabies against Wales, and it's why we see, you know, a couple of big calls here um, with the pressure on. That's just how he is. Okay. Well, look, um, let's. Uh, the other big probably talking point from the game uh, was the scrum. I think we all went in there. I think the Wallabies went in there, and we all thought we were going to see, um, you know maybe another a piece of Wallaby's dominance. But as I, as I said earlier on, it didn't turn out that way. We had three penalties against us. Scott Co didn't seem to be having a good time, a good night, and, you know, worryingly ended up going off uh, with what looked like a pretty bad, um, I think it was probably a shoulder uh, problem from, from one of the scrums. Elbow. Yeah. Was it elbow? Apparently. Okay. Apparently they're, they're, they're waiting on scans, but they're not necessarily writing him off as a, as a complete... Um, injury you know a straight out so mm. god knows what to make of it okay because well, that's a bit of a worry because all of a sudden you go from you know a good couple of uh you know a good couple of props um and then we're kind of kind of light one and look i haven't managed to get the cheetah scope over this one yet um you know dave have you got any kind of feel for what do you think was happening there uh well no you mentioned i, I look i haven't uh, gone and tried to analyse it myself, but um, a greater mind than mine on uh, on our forum has tried to analyse it, and mm. um, it's bit, certainly it's looking at what's that. Oh, I think I know who you're talking about, and I think you're overstating yeah. it a little bit. <laughs> well, great, greater can be judged in so many different ways, it can be a <laughs> qualitative or quantitative uh, thing. <laughs> anyway, um, 
anyway, someone else has judged it, and um, uh, it was interesting the scrum, the one scrum they used to make their point. I mean, I, I, I looked at that and I thought that was that was fairly valid. He penalised us on one where we did seem to have the the, uh, the, the dominant scrum, and um, Co got sort of underneath and caused all sorts of problems to Danell uh, to um, JP Nell. JP Nell, sorry, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know the penalty went the other way. But look, I, I haven't actually gone and rewatched all of the scrums to see what was going on. But there were a couple of little subtle things I did see, you know, where they did look like they were pulling back on a couple of engagements, trying to get a penalty, and they did actually get a penalty on one of those or a free kick on one of those. So I think, you know, they were, they were playing some um, playing some games, and look, fair play, that's what you do. And if you do it better, then you get away with it, and it's a win. But, um, you know, I think, um, I suspect Seo was maybe a little bit harshly dealt with. Uh, the rest of the scrum looked all right. I mean, um, the tight head side seemed to be pretty solid. And, um, you know, I think Juba's decided fairly early on that uh, Seo was um, having a bad night and it was all over him. We'll see. I mean, I, I, like I said, until... We've managed to you spend a bit of time going through that. It looked to me like there's a bit of silly buggers going on, but I must admit, like I just finished watching the Argentinian Island game, and by the end of that game, the scrums were an absolute just cheat fest. It was there wasn't anybody yep. straight, um, and I think Gar says had kind of just given up trying to referee that one, and so both sides just said, "Well, we might as well just have at it." Um, so that was a complete, you know. Shit fest, and it'll be very interesting to see what happens next weekend. We'll we'll come on to that that game um, just in in just a minute. But yeah, a yep. bit, bit of looking at the, the scrum, and then I think Dave, uh, just while we finish off on on sort of the vibe of this match, you, you're saying there's some some nerdy maths you've been doing. Oh, I know. Look, I was looking at the kicks because you know obviously the knee jerk response was oh you know Foley had an absolute mare, he missed all these kicks, and I went and looked at all the kicks and. You know, obviously, he missed those three conversions in the first half. Um, so that is truly six points you can actually say were left out there. It's not like penalty kicks where the whole thing's, you know, parallel universes and everything. But, mm-hmm. you know, pen, uh, conversions are points you've left out there. But looking at, you know, doing some, some rudimentary maths on it, you know, you're looking at a distance of around about 40 metres and you're looking at the margins by which he missed each of them. Uh, his first one was the worst. But other than that, the other two have missed by fairly narrow margins, which if you actually break it down to, you know, degrees of shift off where he's aiming and the width of the goalposts, you're looking at a very small percentage error. Mm. So it's not like he was kicking them and he was missing the posts by 10, 15, 20% on what he should have been hitting they're actually fairly tight and they're missing by small margins. Now, okay, it still sucks that he missed, but I don't think he was actually kicking that badly. He just didn't quite nail those goals from the sideline. Mm. Well, Second and, and half, he didn't miss anything, so yeah, including the critical really... ones. So, look, there are games where he's kicked where I'd be very happy to go to town and say he kicked poorly because he's he's either stabbing at them and hooking them wildly left or he's got this sort of cut on them where they go right. But that wasn't what was happening here. He was kicking the ball reasonably well and missing mostly, apart from one, by a pretty narrow margin, mm. which says that he's actually he's striking the ball quite well. 
Um, and that's not, you know, excusing him and not saying, oh, well, he actually had a good night when he didn't have a good night. He missed goals, so he didn't have a good night. But, but they, were, they, they, weren't t- they weren't total shots. But it wasn't horrendous. Yeah. And I've well, seen, and I think, I think he I've really seen well much worse kicking. Yeah. Too. Sorry, Hugh? Oh, I think he did really well to turn it around. I mean, in the end, yeah, look, he, he probably would have liked him to get one or two of those first three, um, even though they're from the sideline. But, um, you know, we've seen plenty of Australian kickers um, – you know, you know, I could name you five or six that that have had those early misses and and it's shot their confidence and mm. all of a sudden they'll get one from you know forty out and next to the post like like Foley didn't and uh, they'll they'll start shaking them and and I think it you know uh, it, it was good that he could turn it around and in in the end slot that one there which you know though it was kickable it certainly wasn't easy in those conditions um, so. Yeah, and bear in mind also there was some discussion about, you know, Laidlaw kicks so much better. Well, Laidlaw's kicks were generally uh, a lot closer to the centre of the field, which is one thing. Um, And the other thing is there was some discussion also about the other games at Millennium um, with the roof closed and no wind. So it's a slightly different scenario. I think you have to always bear those things in mind. Look, I'm not excusing him. He didn't have a good night with the boot. Mm. But... It was not as horrendous as some people would like to make out because, you know, at the end of the day, most of the kicks he had were not particularly easy kicks. And, look, the critical one that he nailed um, was certainly not an easy kick. It was raining, a lot of pressure, straight down the middle. So, look, I give him a pass for that because I don't think it was as quite as, as horrendous as some people have Making out. Yeah, I think he was also kicking into the wind in that first half, which um, obviously... He was. He was kicking with the wind in the second half, for sure. If you're against the wind, it's going to make it a little bit worse. Um, Okay, Hugh, let's give me a spray. Who who stood out? Who had a good game? Uh, Curtly Beal, I'll give a shout-out to. I thought he was was really good at fullback. Um, You know, you you don't want to say a step up on Israel Folau, but he's created a really interesting selection headache for Michael Checker because... um, you know, he was didn't drop a high ball. His his kicking game was incredible, and I think one of the things that has uh, kind of been a little bit overlooked in the analysis uh, post game was um, in those last minutes where Scotland kicked from that free kick down, you know, right deep into our twenty two, and he returned serve with a raking punt right into the corner, and kind of turned the pressure right back on a Scotland. And and you know, uh, I don't think anyone else could have made that kick, and and. Yeah, he was an attacking threat through the night. He's, you know, through a beautiful cutout pass to hit Drew Mitchell for his first try. Um, yeah, look, I think it's um, yep. his best test that he's played in a long time. He was there on the on the uh, kind of stats board as well. I think he, he made most run meters um, and most offloads over the night as well. Um, so um, yeah, it showed up in the stats uh, as well. Um, have you got a forward that you'd pick out, Hugh? Hmm. Yeah. That's tough, isn't it? I don't think any forward particularly set the world alight. Yeah. You know who um, I thought had a good... Sakopi Kepu, I'll say. Yeah. Um, he, you know, the scrum problems weren't on his side. Uh, he led the tackle count when he was on in his 55 minutes. Um, and, you know, he's, he's continued his, his pretty excellent play. Mm. I, I tell you, um, I thought Fardy had a much better running game. Yeah, I was going yeah. to say Fardy has stolen. him. Yeah, yeah. He, he had a bit, of, a bit of a standout game for him. Um, yep. Dave, who, who else stood out to you? Well... I thought Fardy. I thought look. I thought McCalman was was all right. But mm. but I think you know, it really highlighted for me that the the problem 
and there's been a bit of talk about this, oh, you know, Hooper wasn't doing what Pocock's doing. Uh, yeah, hello, Hooper hasn't been doing what Pocock's been doing for the last several tests because they're doing different things. Mm. So we had a bit of a, a, a problem there, and McCalman didn't really fill it, but I thought he did all right um, doing what he does, but he didn't do what Pocock does, so we had a bit of a hole there. Mm. But I thought Fardy and McCalman did all right, um, and in the backs, I was, you know, I have to agree, I thought Beal was good. But the other guy, I think, who stepped up a bit this week was Kurundrani, mm. who played better in this game than he has in some of the other games, I thought. Mm. Uh, he's a bit like, I think we've become a bit like crack addicts with um, with David Pocock, haven't we? we just, we've become so used to it, and I think the whole team's become so used to playing with him there, uh, making those crazy steals and the pressure he puts on that breakdown. Suddenly when he's gone, there was a massive vacuum. Um, oh, absolutely. It, and, I mean, it's quite clear that the role that he's playing is not um, covered by anyone else in the squad particularly. So yeah. it's a problem when he's out. We don't play that same style. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an adjustment for everyone to make and, you know, maybe we didn't make that adjustment very well. Mm. Um, the only so... guy I think that really fits that mould is, is probably Liam Gill, okay. who's obviously not in the squad. So... I, I've got a question, Matt, before we move on. So mm. I, I don't know if you've got players that you wanted to suggest before I do. No, go ahead. Um, can we win the World Cup? <laughs> well, that's where I was going. I mean, what do we call this? Do we call this, um, you know, the hiccup along the way? Is this the, you know, Ireland in 1991? Um, you know, is, 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 is that what this was? Or is this a signal that, uh, you know, we're just going to be like the French to the All Blacks if we, if we get that far? Um, you know, come on, Hugh. I mean, it sounds like you've been pondering this one since two in the morning. Yeah, oh, I don't know. I, I think it might be one game too far for us. We might win next week. You know, I think we've certainly got it in us to to beat Argentina. Mm-hmm. It'll be, you know, we'll get to the previews in due course. But, uh, you know, to then back up after that and beat the All Blacks in the Springboks or the Springboks. I mean, geez, I just wonder if the pool of death is going to kill us but just a lot more slowly than, than we might have thought. Mm. Um, and that's a bit of a pessimistic view. And, and certainly, you know, if we can keep players fit and on the day, you've got to be in it to win it. And, and as we've seen at World Cups, anything can happen. But, um, gee, uh, uh, that game just dinted my hopes of us lifting the trophy a little bit. I think we needed a light game there. And um, unfortunately, we, we didn't get it. And I think the toll on our legs might might uh, might tell in the end. Well, you talk, you say that, but I couldn't help but think we looked heavy legged from the beginning, and I do wonder if maybe they've increased the workload um, over the last week or so. Um, sort of basically saying, look, you, we've got to get through this game anyway, and the, you know the, the the game we really need to peak for, the games we really need to peak for are still coming. So I wonder if they've even been dialing it up a little bit because I just didn't think we looked particularly sprightly. Um, from, you know, sort of from the get-go. Um, you know, uh, my take on this whole thing is sort of where does it tell us that we are? I don't know. I kind of felt that we, you know, I guess it goes back to that thing I said at the beginning. I mean, we we, we kept giving them tries and then we kept finding an, a, and, and not kicking goals and we kept finding a way to score another two tries to make up for it. Um, and when you think of where, you know, we'd had some trouble in that in that. Uh, 
sort of department just a week earlier. This to me feels like, I mean, what we've seen from this team is the ability to stretch like that to kind of deliver what the game needs, you know, whether it was against the uh, Saffirs, you know, at the very beginning of the rugby championship, whether it was against Wales only a week ago and then against Scotland this week, where I think we were probably our own worst enemy. We managed to just keep going and um, and kind of stretch with that. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm with you, Hugh. You scratch your head and you say, "Look, there's a there's a bunch of problems there." I I don't know if this wasn't kind of if this wasn't sort of that little wake up call that we needed, like we got in '91. Dave, thumbs up or thumbs down on that? A hundred percent. This is Ireland 1991. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I'm old enough to remember watching that uh, that World Cup. And watching that match in particular, because we got mugged in that match, didn't we? Remember that we got absolutely mugged, and there were a lot of similarities. You know, we'd Australia had played all right through the pool stages. They put on some good performances. They put on some relatively lacklustre ones as well. They'd scraped through against Samoa. They'd, uh, you know, they they demolished some other teams, including Argentina, I believe, from memory, um, and. You know, they got to the quarterfinal and it was Ireland and I think everyone kind of thought, oh, well, this will be one-way traffic. But, you know, the Irish turned up and it was very similar. You know, we played well at times and then we almost inexplicably uh, gave them points. You know, we threw a horrible pass and the slowest open side flanker in the world runs the length of the field and scores a try. Um you know, so I think there's a lot of parallels. I think this was a game. I'm not going to say it's a game we needed to have because I'd rather we didn't have it. But um, you know, I, I think there's some parallels here. I think uh, they looked, they did look sluggish from the outset, as you say. I agree with you. Um, the word is they have been upping the training intensity. Um, and look, I think there's a lot of rhetoric about how unbelievable the All Blacks are, and we'll get to that in a minute, I'm sure. But you've got to look at the quality of the opposition in all these games. And I think, you know, Scotland turned up. We played poorly at times and we got punished for it, but we, we got away with it. So, you know, I don't think it's it's a massive negative for us. I think it's shown us some uh, deficiencies and I'm sure Checkers on top of those. But, um, you know, I don't think it's a massive negative to have that game. I think it's better now than, than, than later. Okay. Well, look, let's, um, okay, let's move on from that one. So it's in the bag, done. Whichever way you want to look at it, we've won. We've got through that quarterfinal. We're into the semis, um, which is then only one game from the final. And, I, and I've got a little bit of an instant update for you, just looking at scanning through Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, Beth Newman, who's certainly worth a follow, um, as a, she's just started writing for rugby.com.au and generally comes up first with the facts on Twitter. Um, Scott Sear has got limited movement in his elbow, and he's getting a scan now. Um, according to Michael Checker, David Pocock and Israel Falau have more chance of playing the semi-final than not playing. So <laughs> that's I don't know what to, I don't know what what you can take from that. Yeah, but, well, um, I'm sure we've got a whole week to. Uh, to try and work it out. Okay. Well, look, let's let's go back to those other quarterfinals and just talk about what that means. Um, we had Wales um, going down to uh, the the Springboks uh, in what I think a lot of well a lot of Welsh and Northern Hemisphere fans would say was um, fairly cruel um, final kind of twist of fate. 
Um, hang on, I'm just trying to pull up here what, what the score was. It was 26-19, I think it was. Just trying to remember here. Um, uh, at the end, because it was just a final try. Where have we got? No. Yes, yeah, 23-19, um, yeah. South Africa-Wales. Um, Hugh, did you see this one? Did, were the Welsh hard done by? Um, no, they weren't hard done by. It's... Um... It was a it was a bit of a grindy game. I was actually kind of in, intrigued by it. I thought it was a pretty good contest, an absorbing contest in the end, um, between two teams that, that were certainly willing, um, but probably not particularly, um, you know, uh, ambitious in attack. But uh, the South Africans were deserving winners. They got you know into that with ten minutes to go. I think the game was tied up, or you know, only a couple of points in it. Um, trading penalty goals up until that point, with the exception of a a, uh, a Welsh try. Um, and they pulled out the, the key play when it mattered, a beautiful little offload by Dwayne Vermeulen to, to Furi Dupree, who scored in the corner. Um, I think the box were, were deserving winners. I really like the play of their um, their centres, Jesse Creel and Damien Diolande. Um, I think they're both absolute superstars, and um, can't wait to see them go up against Nono and Smith. Um, and uh, I think that the Springbok forwards, just Dwayne Vermeulen's come back to fitness and he's getting a bit of a roll on. Uh, their scrum was was pretty good. Um, their line-out, uh, uh, look, you know, they'll be there or thereabouts, and they'll give the, the All Blacks a good test, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, the poor old Welsh, as I said last week, I think 2011 was was, uh, was their tournament, and I, th- and I think it was just a, a bit of a bridge too far in the end mm. um, for them. But hard to, hard to uh, you know, hard for them, considering they've played two 80-minute games and they've conceded one try, Um to the All Black, to Australia and the Springboks, and they've lost both games, which oh. is um, must although, hurt. although, yeah, did they? Did they? I'm trying to remember if they actually scored a try. They did score one try against the Springboks as well. Yeah. Oh, that's but, right. Um, yeah. yeah, but I mean, look on on this thing. I don't know. I mean, I wrote um, after it. That I don't think Wales can complain really. I just felt that they played with very little imagination. It just in watching them, you couldn't help feel that they practiced running into people rather than either trying to run or pass around them. Um, it seems to me that Gatlin a while ago chose, we're not going to win with skill, we're just going to win with brawn and a kicker. Um, and I think that's the thing. I, I, the, the whole strategy is to drag it down to a game of averages. If I can bring it down to a game of averages, I've got bigger guys who are going to run over you and get that extra metre each time, and eventually we're going to get a shot at goal. And I've got at least two goal kickers who are just, you know, with the best goal kicking coach in the world, clearly, um, Neil Jenkins, and uh, we're going to do it. And the problem is that's okay with a lot of teams, but then if you get another team that's just got that flash of class, um, all of a sudden you're having to chase and, and if they can get like more than a you know a penalty goal or two ahead you've got nothing right and you could see the last couple of games and I don't know they, they, they seem to have the, like that instinct drilled out of them the instinct of how to finish a try or create a try and instead they seem to go back to a Jamie Roberts on a crash ball um, or a George North or a Cuthbert on a crash ball and they seem to be ignoring other options or even just numbers um so i don't know i, I and i i think it happened both in the australia game and it happened in this one as well when they're under pressure they just started making all the wrong decisions um and i just think that even if they'd managed to get through this test i don't think they were going any further because as soon as i think the pressure came on they were going to fall apart um 
But anyway, and the other bit was, I've got to say, both of these two teams, there were 78 kicks from hand in the match. So both kicked 39 times from hand. So if you think that, that you know, there's only ever usually about 35 minutes of ball in play, so that's two kicks per minute from these guys. Um, it was really pretty brainless. And, and by the end, the kicks weren't any, even any good. Um, let's keep going. Let's move on to the next quarter final. The ABs. Um, so I think a lot of people saying, you know, this was uh, pretty frightening. Um, with New Zealand beating France 62-13, Dave, uh, should we be afraid or were France really that bad? Uh, a bit of both. Uh, New Zealand were obviously very clinical. Uh, France were sort of in there until after... I mean, the, the turning point obviously was that, that um, reverse penalty yellow card you know, when they were sort of within a score of getting back into the game and in a good field position and they stuffed it. So, and then I think the French just really switched off. You know, New Zealand played well and they were clinical and everything stuck. But, um, you know, I think France uh, really fell apart. So it probably flattered the All Blacks a bit, but they did look very good. Mm. So look, uh, Hugh, what about this point? I mean, I've got. I'll say first, I was pretty outraged by this being a yellow card. He didn't, you know, he didn't slap the guy, he didn't punch the guy, he didn't gouge the guy, he didn't knee the guy. Um, you know, and if you look at just about any kind of bust up, there's a bunch of guys with, if you're saying, you know, placing fists in people's face, i.e., kind of jostling. That's exactly what Pickamoles did. It wasn't smart. I probably would have said it should have been a reverse penalty, even though, I mean, McCaw in the one action had managed to come right around the wrong side of a ruck. And then when he'd fallen on the ball, throw it, you know, hold on to it so that the French, who at that stage were, you know, I think it was 29-13, need to score tries. He knew exactly what he was doing, but he basically got a bit of a facial. And then for Pickamoles, who was their only decent player to get a yellow for that, I just thought that was incredibly soft. And I don't know, I don't know how he got there because, you know, like I say, the quote from Nigel Owens was, I don't see a fist or fingers near the eyes. I don't see a punch. I just see a fist in the face. Um, and then yellow card. Hugh? Yeah, look, uh, I, think it's, I think it is a yellow card. Um, but I think that says more about yellow cards today than it does about that particular decision. Mm. Um, you know, that's the standard we've set, um, is that that sort of thing gets a yellow card. And, you know, it's the same with the Sean Maitland thing to an extent. It's now we've determined that, that any minor act of foul play like that, you know, more often than not, you're getting a yellow card. Um, have we gone a little bit too far? I mean, certainly um, Andrew Webster in, today, in today's Herald made that point. He's normally a league journal that says, you know, we've gone a bit, rugby's gone a bit too far with the yellow cards. And he might have a point, and that's another example of it. Uh, look, I think... Uh, there was a point where I thought he might actually get a red card because now they're saying any, any punch is a red card. So, you know, what constitutes a punch? And you could have seen a ref taking a particularly dim view of that as well. But um, either way, brainless play by Pika Moles. Um, just a really stupid, unnecessary thing to do at that point. And, um, and the French paid the price. Um, mm. it, was, um, it was one-way traffic from about the 20-minute mark onwards. Yeah. Now, look, I've got to say, the, the bit that impressed me by the ABs, everyone was kind of going off about, you know, the, the outrageous kind of offloads that, were ha- that, you know, props were giving and all sorts. But the thing that I thought was stone-cold chilling was, you know, their, their ability to restart, to gather from restarts. Um, that just killed the French. And for that first 20 minutes when the French just couldn't get out of there and half was just because the ABs just kept you know, kicking and regathering. 
Um, and, and that's something I'm really worried about. We've been done like that before. Um, so I think that's a real heads up. And the other bit was they attacked the French line out and our line out still looks rickety. And you can imagine those two things happening. You don't have any ball, you don't have um, any territory and it's just good night. Because once those guys are camped in your half, you're going to give up points. So I was pretty worried about that, I must admit. Um, less so about um, their handling or the rest of it. Um, that leaves us with one quarterfinal, and that was the one that was uh, just ahead of ours uh, last uh, last night, or in the early morning, I should say, um, which was Argentina Island. What a result this one was. Um, quite a stunning. I don't think anyone saw this sort of scoreline coming. 43-20 to Argentina. Um, Dave, have you seen this one? Yeah, I've watched um, uh, most of this game. Um, it was actually... Cl- much closer than that for a lot of the game. I mean, you know, Argentina ran away with it in the last uh, 10 or 15 minutes. But um, Although they got out to 17 points ahead in within the first 10, 15 minutes, I think, didn't they? Yeah, but then Ireland came back and it was actually close again. And, I mean, it was only the last 10 or 15 minutes that it blew out. And, look, you know, fair play to the Argentinians. They played very well. Uh, they played a very dynamic game. Um and a lot of things stuck, but, um, you know, I think Ireland, maybe it was a step too far. They'd lost some players to injury and things, um, and Argentina really played, for them, I think, a very, very good game. I'm not sure how much to read into it. Um, also, looking at the refereeing, I thought uh, Garces was a little bit, um, he seemed to be a little bit, heavily on the side of the Argentinians. I mean, I think he gave them a little bit of a leg up. Um, but, um, look, they look good. Mm. Can't argue that. They, they look... look fantastic. I thought they looked spectacular. That yeah. first 15 minutes, oh, I could watch that a million times. Mm. I, the rugby they produced in that first 15, 20 minutes was just sublime, superb. They're running at speed, their forwards uh, handling skills in the back line. I mean... I tweeted at one point that it reminded me in part of the Crusaders at their very best, playing this sort of really flat line across the field and running at speed and exploiting just space and numbers. Mm. And it's been one of the defining features of this World Cup is the inability of the Northern Hemisphere sides to exploit space and numbers. And and uh, the RGs exposed the Irish brutally in this area. Mm. They had three on twos and they would convert them ruthlessly. They were playing this sort of beautiful style of of forward runners and then a second wave of attackers with decoys in front and and the Irish were falling for it every time. Mm. Um, I think um, it was a real, it was one of the performances of the tournament. I mean, it was probably the second best behind what, well, you know, in the top three behind what we did to the English and what the All Blacks did to the French just before. No, I think, um, I think you're spot on, Hugh. I, I, it, I, you know, the, the, the skill, and you're right, the Crusaders had this as well, is the accuracy of the passing. It was just beautiful. It was yeah. always in, it was you know flat, hard, always in front of the man, always in front of the man. It didn't matter if it was from a prop or whether it was from a um, you know from a winger. And then and then the, then it was the running lines as well, always straightening um, and knowing how to find the pace. I just I was I, it's breathtaking if you watch that game. I, I just don't know. I don't think I've seen the All Blacks play like that. Um, well, that's. I think the thing is, I mean, the thing that's heartening for a Wallabies fan is they did switch off for about twenty or thirty minutes. Their discipline is a problem. Mm. Um, 
and um, you know the Irish got to them at, at one point and got within I think got within three points or got within five, or maybe three. Yeah, and you know probably almost looked a better team there. They were they were coming home hard, but mm. um, well, I think it was, you it was can put them ha- under pressure and put them off their game. But they mm. found their stride again in that last fifteen minutes and, and, and ran away with it. Well, I would think I think it was after half time, and then the Irish came out and basically decided they were going to commit to the breakdown. Um, and that made a massive difference, and they, and they, yeah. they managed to knock them off. I, think I, I just want to pull you up quickly, Matt, on mm. something you said before that no one really saw this coming. Um, I direct keen mm. listeners of the podcast back to um, episode 169 on the 4th <laughs> of March. Mm. Oh, well, I might even see if I can cut that in. No, no, no. Back in your box, Ireland fans. They're not going to make the semifinals because they never do. Ireland. <laughs> They're in great form at the moment, sure. And they might be in great form in the pool games. They might beat France like they beat Australia. But the one thing you can rely on at every World Cup is the Irish will choke in the quarters. And it doesn't matter who they're playing. If they come up against Argentina, they'll lose. If they come up against Samoa, they'll lose. If they come up against Georgia, I'm tipping Georgia in that game. (laughs) Because the Irish, for whatever reason, are really battled to get past that quarterfinal. I tell the other place where they were excellent, it then turned into a shit fight for the rest of the match, was the scrum. Their very first scrum absolutely blew the Irish away. And I think they knew, the Irish knew they were going to be just steamrolled if they didn't do something. And from then on, I don't think there was one straight, straight scrum. It went just absolutely every which way. And I think Garces just lost control. He had no idea which way to whistle it. And by the end of the match, you just saw, you know, loose heads at both sides coming in at angles. It was just a mess. Um, and and Garces was just hoping that the ball somehow squirted out the back somewhere. Um, so I, I, that Argentinian pack really, they look good. And they've got some big boys who, who can run. I mean, I, I watched that game tonight, actually, and I thought, I tell you what, I we really do need to man up because... They looked really, really good. Um, I think they're favourites. I, I honestly have them as favourites. Yeah. Sanchez, um, you know, and some of their some of their backs. I mean, and they're getting Bosch back, and they've got um, you know even guys like Hugh Belly coming off the bench, who's playing for the Brumbies next year. That's yeah. a great buy. And and if their Super Rugby team doesn't win the comp, well, geez, I'm not here. I mean, they'll be sensational. No. Are you saying favourites against us or for the for the cup? Favorite favourites against us. Ah. Okay, fair enough. I'm desperately clinging to an underdog status that we may not deserve, yeah. but I think... I think <laughs> no, no, I'd it. agree with that. I actually, look, I agree 100%. From what I saw of them and what I saw of us, I'd say uh, we're up against it. But, you know, I I have moderate amount of confidence that Checker can get us up. I, oh, yeah. I still think the All Blacks, what the All Blacks showed was a step above. Well, and I think at this stage of the Rugby World Cup, it's a week-to-week proposition, and whoever turns up on the day, yeah. you know, all four teams are capable of lifting this trophy. Um, all four teams have got you know, real strengths and, and um, can beat any of the other three teams on their day. It's just who turns up. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, let's hope that we turn up next week. We're going to have another podcast later on this week again, probably around about Thursday. Hopefully we get closer, maybe even have some teams and some injury news. Um, but until then, thanks, everybody, for, for joining us, and uh, have a good week. Thanks, fellas. Seven left. Go ahead. Okay.